Rahamatu and I grew up in the same neighborhood back in Madagali. Even then, our parents always said if we came of age, we would be married to each other. Adamo and Rahmatu were in love with each other, even before the Boko Haram insurgency happened to them, even before the terror group's inception more than a decade ago. But the death of Adamo's father and other similar incidents continue to disrupt their love story. This is Vestiges of Violence, a weekly podcast about personal stories of violence victims. For Human Angle, I am Hamida. As a young boy, Adamo and his father were into the business of charcoal making. They heated wooden scraps and other organic materials in local pit kilns processed them into lump charcoal, and sold it. The day Adamo's father was buried, his uncle adopted Adamo and his siblings, and they moved to Koza in Borno State, northeast Nigeria, where they were originally from. While in Koza, he continued to make charcoal and eventually married. At the time, his hopes of ending up with Ramatun were long gone. In 2016, when armed members of Boko Haram invaded his town, Adamu, like many others, attempted to flee. We met soldiers who stopped and searched us. They asked us what was going on, and we told them what we knew. I told them it was Boko Haram that entered our village, but they said we were with them. We swore that we were not terrorists, but they detained about 52 of us and lock us in a cell. After some days, a coordinator of the federal government's deradicalization program, codenamed Operation Safe Corridor, would order them to be taken to Medoguri. Luckily for Adamo, he did not go through the process of staying in Giwa barracks as those who have been accused without proof of being Boko Haram fighters often did. Immediately we reached Medoguri. We were taken to my Malari barracks. Then we were taken to the airport and flown straight to Gombe. When Adamo's life went on in Koza, Rahmato got married too and continued to live in Madagali. We stayed in Hamidu's family house and our life was good, alhamdulillah. Until 2014, when the insurgents invaded their village. The day Boko Haram entered Chakawa, they drove seven cars and six motorbikes and headed straight to the chief's house, shooting at everything. They saw him trying to run away and they asked him where he thought he was going. They brought him to the center of the village and gathered some of us there and shot him. We ran into the bushes, but they followed us with their motorbikes and shot at people. There was a baby tied to his mother's back and a bullet completely detached his arm. I ran deep into the bush. I ran, rested and ran without direction for five days. Rahmatu was pregnant with her fifth child at the time. I slept on that tree. The ground was damp and cold and I didn't have a single wrapper. I was hungry. 
And I was testy. I ran for five days from morning to night. On the fifth day, as she continued running, she heard the sound of someone pounding with a mortar and pistol, indicating that she was close to a settlement. She had run back to Chakawa. I didn't even recognize the place. Houses were burnt down and deserted. I only met one person who told me I had come back to Chakawa. By then, the Boko Haram had left and I met the man that took me back home. Some of my relatives had come back home too and immediately they saw me. They started crying. One by one, my other relatives who ran back before the government decided to evacuate us to Mubi. Then we came to Yola. Me and my four children came here, but my husband remained missing. When Rahmatun started living in the camp, the Adamawa state government often fed and gave them relief materials, but this has since stopped. As such interventions occur only once or twice a year, allowing hunger and starvation to prevail. Many of the IDP's means of feeding is through engaging in manual labor for the town's residents who own farms. Food never comes unless we go to beg for work. Sometimes we don't get paid and come back empty-handed. In the dry season, when farming activities slow down, we settle for already harvested rice fields and uh, peak rice stalks that might have been left behind. In 2018, after spending a year and five months in the deradicalization program, Adamu was discharged and elated to return to Goza, but nothing prepared him for the angry and disapproving looks people carried whenever they saw him walking by. They started saying we were the ones that destroyed the town and killed their people. I showed them the certificate given to me in Gombe, where I swore with the Quran that I was not a terrorist, but they refused to listen. They said they couldn't live with us. That was how I left my wife and eight children and came to Yola. We settled in Malkohi host community, about two kilometers from the camp, because the camp officials claimed it was already full. Adamu believes he had gotten bad blood from going through the Operation Safe Corridor program even though he was falsely accused. His stay in the host community was peaceful. Adamu maintained friendliness with the community members, but avoided getting close to anyone because he had lost enough. My wife and children are still in Goza. Since I left, I only visited them twice, and I barely stayed for two days. I stay in this tent with nothing but a straw mat and one pillow. If I move my family here without providing better shelter, it will not be fair. I would rather send them money for food. For the first two years that Adamo had been living there, he had no idea Ramatu was just across the street from him because he kept a low profile but was also known as the charcoal maker. People, including soldiers who guarded the camp, would hire him to make charcoal for them. He and the soldiers had a rapport, so they let him fetch water from a water pump within the camp. 
One day, I went in to fetch water and she saw me. She said, Who am I seeing like Adamu? And I said, Yes, it is me, Adamu. I couldn't believe my eyes. I said, You too, Boko Haram has chased you here? And she told me everything, including how she's here to find her husband, probably because he is dead. I reminded her what our parents intend for us and asked her to marry me. One evening, Adamu, weary and drained from a trip, reached his tent and expected it to be dark, plain, with his straw mat folded and tucked away in a corner, just the way he had left it. But instead, he found his stepbrother's corpse. Out of fear, he did not tell the people within the host community because he never really maintained a friendship with them. Instead, he reported it to the soldiers that guarded the IDP camp, who he thought knew him well. They said it was not their job, and I should report it to the police. But before I got to the police station, someone who had already seen me walk into the tent entered and found the corpse. My late stepbrother had been an occupant of the camp until weeks before his death. The news traveled fast and when camp officials found out that it was a former occupant of the camp, no one wanted to reason with me, including the soldiers. From then on, Adamo has not been allowed to enter the camp. They can only talk outside the camp's gate for an hour. He said that part of the oath he took in Kombe was never to indulge in an altercation. But each time he went to plead to allow him go in, he got closer and closer to breaking that part of the promise. For Rahmatu, her greatest worry is losing the joy and security their marriage had offered her and her children. He barely visits now. And his frustration is building up. He says it would be better if we just divorce. Whatever happens though, Adamo has resolved he would look after Rahmatu. I have promised her that I will not go to bed with a full belly and allow them to sleep on an empty stomach. I will still take care of her children, I promised her. I just don't see the purpose of this marriage anymore. This is an episode of Vestiges of Violence. This story was scripted and reported by Zubaydah Baba Ibrahim and edited by Hawa Shafinuhu. Produced by Atahi Rujibrin. A quick note about our voice acting. All dramatizations in this episode are based on actual interviews conducted with the subjects. Voice acting by Akila Jibrin and Chikozi Victor. Senior producer is Anthony Asamutam. The executive producer is Ahmed Selkida. For more stories, go to humanangomedia.com and find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. I am Haimida. Haimida.